Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hello everyone, happy Wednesday. Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. I hope you all are having a great day, a great week. And if you're not, guess what? We are just halfway out from Friday, so we are doing good. If you do not know who I am, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead real quick and just hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening to me at. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every single Wednesday and you will not want to miss it. And if you do have the time, just go ahead and quickly rate and review the podcast. I love to hear y'all's feedback on everything and I would really, really appreciate it. So as you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are talking about the disappearance of Desiree Ferris. Desiree was 18 years old when she went missing on the early morning hours of May 2nd, 2017 from Liberty, Missouri. This is currently an unsolved case and Desiree's family has not stopped searching for her since the day that she went missing and hope that with each day that passes, they will be able to bring her home and hold whoever is responsible for her disappearance accountable. To give you a physical description of Desiree, at the time of her disappearance, Desiree had brown hair, she has brown eyes, and stood at about 5 feet 1 inches tall and weighed about 95 to 101 pounds. She was last seen wearing a pink fuzzy jacket, a cream colored top, and possibly had a tan purse with her. Desiree was born on February 11th, 1999 in St. Louis, Missouri to her mother, Patty Tam. Patty had three other children before Desiree, so Desiree was her youngest, that was her baby, and when Desiree was a toddler, her father and mother actually ended up splitting up and her father went on to marry a woman named Jennifer Ferris. Desiree is described as someone with an extremely bubbly and friendly personality. She lights up any room that she walks into and she loved spending time with her family. And her family was a pretty big one. Like I said, Desiree was the youngest of four. And then when her father remarried, she ended up having nine siblings in total between her biological siblings and her step-siblings. So it was one big Brady Bunch family. And she had a great relationship with all of her siblings as well as she had a great relationship with her stepmother. Desiree had been living with her mother in Liberty, Missouri for the past eight years leading up to her disappearance and Desiree had big, big dreams. She had aspirations to become a model one day and she also thought about being a teacher or a child care worker. Desiree is described as the type of person who always likes to see the good in people. She always likes to give people the benefit of the doubt and believed that people were good. Desiree had an extremely close relationship with her mother, Patty. Desiree was known as a mom's girl. They loved watching TV together. Patty said that Desiree would go into her room and sit on her bed and they would watch movies together. They texted each other all throughout the day and they loved spending time with each other. Unfortunately, 
things took a devastating turn when Desiree went missing the night before her mother's birthday. Now, prior to Desiree's disappearance, her family was worried that Desiree's ability to give people the benefit of the doubt and seeing the best in people was getting the best of her when she started getting involved with people that didn't have the best influence on her. She started hanging around people who liked to do drugs and liked to drink and liked to party a lot, and Desiree's family was worried that she too would get tied up in that lifestyle if she kept hanging out with them. However, Desiree continuously convinced her family that even though she hung out with people who enjoyed to do those things, she herself was not involved in that lifestyle. So let's talk about the day leading up to Desiree's disappearance. Now, like I said, May 1st, 2017 was the day before Desiree's mother's birthday. Now, according to Patty, she said that she thought that Desiree and her sister were planning some sort of surprise birthday celebration for Patty when she got home from work that night. Patty said the reason that she thought this was because she saw that Desiree had a birthday card for her mom on her pillow and there had also been ingredients out in the kitchen to make a cake. So Patty assumed that that's what was going on when she left work. However, by the time Patty got off work and went home at about 5 o'clock p.m., Desiree was not there. So here is what we know. On the morning of May 1st, 2017, Desiree and her sister got picked up from their home in Liberty by a man named Robert Jason Keegan, who I have seen go by the name Robert and go by the name Jason. However, I'm going to call him Jason because that's what Desiree's family Facebook group calls him. Now, throughout this day, Jason, Desiree, and her sister visited three different locations that included abandoned houses that authorities assumed was to be used for drug-related activities. Later that afternoon, at about 4.30 p.m. that same day, Jason dropped Desiree and her sister off at a McDonald's that's located at 31st Street and Van Brunt Boulevard in Kansas City, Missouri. This drop-off was confirmed by a witness who saw both Desiree and her sister get out of Jason's car. Now, this is where a new man enters the picture, and that man is 36-year-old Mark Arzola. Now, Mark didn't have the best reputation. Jason didn't either, but Mark did not as he was known for being in and out of prison and it's unclear how either Desiree or her sister knew Mark or knew Jason or where they met or what the communication was leading up to them meeting and getting together. However, nonetheless, Mark picked up the girls and drove them to a different McDonald's location along Route 291 and Liberty. After going to this McDonald's location, Mark then took both of the girls, Desiree and her sister, back to Desiree's home where only her sister got out of the car. Desiree decided that she wanted to stay with Mark and hang out with him for the rest of the day, so Desiree's sister got dropped off and Desiree drove off with Mark. And little did Desiree's sister know that this would be the last time that she would see Desiree. I do want to say that it can kind of get confusing following along the series of events that I'm about to walk you through just because there are some contradicting stories, so I'm going to try and break it down as best that I can. 
Now, according to Mark Arzola, he said that he dropped Desiree's sister off at home and Desiree stayed with him in the car. And after him and Desiree left, they went and sat in a parking lot and talked for a couple hours before the two of them decided to go back to his house. Mark said after hanging out at his house for a little bit, Desiree got picked up by a friend later that night. Now, I want to kind of shift over to Patty for a second because Patty, Desiree's mother, has said that Desiree is not the type of person to go anywhere without telling her mother or texting her or calling her, and she received no text from Desiree that night regarding her whereabouts after a certain period of time. And Patty said, again, this was a completely unlike Desiree as she was the type of person to always keep her mom updated. So when Patty woke up in the middle of the night and Desiree was not home and she hadn't gotten any texts or calls from her, Patty said she knew at that point that something was very wrong. Now, Patty did not waste any time on the early morning hours of May 2nd to file a missing persons report. Now, Jennifer, Desiree's stepmother, had actually found out about the fact that Desiree was missing through Facebook. She found out through the Liberty Police Department Facebook page that Desiree was missing, and when she saw this, she quickly called Patty, and the two of them got together to try and trace back Desiree's steps from what happened the night prior. So, at this point, authorities were trying to find Mark and Jason, the two people who were last known to see Desiree the night before she went missing. And while they were doing this, they decided the next best thing to do would be to track Desiree's cell phone and figure out where her phone was last pinged at. That way they could hopefully get a location as to where she might have been that night. When they did this, authorities were able to see that Desiree's phone pinged in a town in Kansas City called Marlboro Heights. It's located in South Kansas City. When authorities saw this, they got a little bit worried because this is an area that is known to not be the best area. It's known for a lot of drug activity and is just not somewhere that authorities wanted Desiree to be. However, this is where her phone last pinged before it was turned off at 4.11 a.m. on May 2nd and I want to note something. Her phone did not just die. According to authorities, her phone was physically turned off at 4.11 a.m. on May 2nd. Now, prior to her phone being shut off, Desiree did send a text to her sister just before 1 a.m. on May 2nd saying, I'm coming home. However, she never arrived. So wherever Desiree was at that point, she thought that she was going home. She thought that she was going to be making it home safely. She didn't think she was going to be spending the night anywhere. In her mind, she believed that she was going home. Now, as far as the timeline of the pings go, Desiree's phone shows that at 10.45 p.m. on May 1st, she was near West 124th Street in South Kansas City, and then her phone pings again between 1 to 2 a.m. on May 2nd near East 75th Street and Prospect Avenue, then again between 3 a.m. to 3.14 a.m. near East 43rd Street and Washington Avenue in Independence, Missouri, and then again at 4 a.m. near East 83rd Street and Hillcrest in Kansas City. It is also noted from this phone search that Desiree made an outgoing call to an unknown person to the public. However, her family said that they know who she made that call to, so the public hasn't been given the information as to who she called 
called that night. However, her family is aware of who this person is and they actually got in contact with them because they wanted to ask if Desiree seemed okay, if she seemed worried, if she seemed scared, if anything seemed off-putting. However, according to the person that she was on the phone with, Desiree seemed completely fine and nothing seemed out of the ordinary. And then the last activity on Desiree's phone was when she accessed Facebook at about 3 o'clock a.m. and then again her phone was turned off physically at 4 11 a.m. Now for the first couple weeks of Desiree being missing, Patty and Jennifer were really on their own in searching for Desiree. They took it upon themselves to create Facebook groups and form their own search parties. Once they learned that Desiree's phone had last been pinged in the Marlboro Heights area, the two of them actually went to the area themselves and started knocking door to door trying to see if anyone had seen or heard of Desiree. Both Patty and Jennifer said that at that point they didn't care how dangerous the area that they were in was, they didn't care how dangerous Mark and Jason were or anything like that. Their only concern was finding Desiree. Now I do want to say it's lucky that Desiree's sister was with her for the majority of the day because she was able to put some of these pieces together for the authorities and for her mom. She was able to tell the authorities and her mother and Jennifer that they were with Jason and Mark that day. Patty said that once Desiree's sister told her who the two of them were with that day, Patty said she never met Jason or Mark and she didn't know them personally. However, she had heard of them before and thought that they were dangerous people and she told her children to stay away from them. So when Patty heard that these were the men that Desiree was hanging out with, these were the last people to see her, she obviously got very worried considering both of these men's reputation and what they were known for. Then, on May 28, 2017, Patty and Jennifer conducted a search party all through the South Kansas City area, and it was during this search that Jennifer actually came face-to-face -face with Mark Arzola. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. Jennifer said she looked Mark straight in the eyes and asked him what happened to Desiree. Now, according to Jennifer, Mark said that he told her the same story that I mentioned earlier, how he dropped Desiree's sister off at home, and then him and Desiree went and sat in a parking lot and talked for a couple hours before heading back to his house. This is when Mark told Jennifer that around 1.30 a.m. on May 2nd, Desiree ended up getting picked up by someone at his home who 
was driving a white or silver truck. Mark said that the person driving the truck was actually Jason Keegan, the man who Desiree and her sister were originally with earlier that day. According to Mark, he said that Desiree seemed perfectly fine when she left his house and she got into Jason's truck and drove away. And then after that, him and Desiree texted each other for a little bit, saying that she had left some clothes of hers at his house and then that was the end of it. He never heard from her again. Now, of course, after hearing this, Jennifer and Patty wanted the authorities to look at Jason and to really question him, not necessarily because they didn't think that Mark had nothing to do with this, but because they wanted Jason to be questioned too. Obviously, these were the last two people that are known to see Desiree before she went missing and considering their reputations, these were people that they wanted to be looked at. However, 10 days following Desiree's disappearance, Jason was actually arrested and placed into federal prison for unrelated charges involving meth and other weapons, possession of meth and other weapons. Now, when it came to Jason and Desiree, the two of them had exchanged 23 text messages between 10.20 p.m. and 10.58 p.m. on May 1st, and then the texting between the two of them stopped. Now, because the texting stopped around 11 o'clock p.m., this led investigators to believe that Jason could have actually picked up Desiree from Mark's house a lot earlier than what Mark initially said. Again, Mark said that Desiree got picked up around 1.30. However, authorities believe that she could have been picked up anywhere from before midnight. Considering that is when the text messages between Jason and Desiree come to a halt. Now, the problem with this case and where it gets kind of confusing is because there's a lot of conflicting statements out in the media about who said what. There's a lot of he said, she said out there. There are multiple sources that state that when Jason got arrested, he told authorities that he was not going to talk about Desiree or her disappearance and that he wanted full immunity on anything that had to do with her. However, I want to note that I did see in my research there was a couple sources that said that Jason did talk to the authorities and told them that he picked up Desiree from Mark's home and then dropped her off at 73rd Street and Troost Avenue, which is about a nine-minute drive from where Mark lived. These sources also said that Jason said that the reason he dropped off Desiree there was because the two of them had mutual friends that lived in that area. However, what I find odd about this fact is that he didn't say, I dropped her off at so-and-so's house. At least not in the sources that I was able to find. He simply just stated that they had mutual friends in the area. And what I also find bizarre was that Liberty, where Desiree lived, was a 10-minute drive from the street where Jason said that he dropped off Desiree, so why not just take her home at that point? According to a Facebook message that Desiree had sent Jason while she was at Mark's house, she told him that she wanted to leave and go home. So if that's the case, why not just take her home and drive an extra 10 minutes to drop her off than to just drop her off at a random street? But again, it's important to note that there's conflicting statements. There's statements that are saying that Jason never said any of this, and that he's been keeping his mouth shut since he got arrested. But then there are statements that are saying that he did talk a little bit about what happened that night and then he stopped talking. 
So let's look at what we have here. What we know is that on May 1st, 2017, Desiree was seen with both Jason Keegan and Mark Alzora at different points of the day. She was possibly at Mark's home at some point, and she was possibly picked up by Jason. Again, the only two people who really know that for a fact are Mark and Jason themselves. So because of that, the reality is, is that no one really knows exactly what happened after Desiree's sister was dropped off. It really is just one big question mark from that point. The timing of everything is very iffy. There's inconsistencies in stories and some things that just overall don't make a lot of sense. Now, I wasn't able to find out if he is still in prison. However, a couple months following Desiree's disappearance, Mark was arrested for charges unrelated to Desiree. I believe he was arrested for violating his probation. And after he was arrested, he refused to talk about Desiree or her case at all as well. Now, as far as the Liberty Police Department goes, they issued a statement saying, quote, one of the more challenging aspects of this investigation for our detectives has been that the entire investigation has revolved around people and locations in South Kansas City across the metropolitan area away from our jurisdiction, end quote. They continue to say, quote, the Liberty Police Department has handled this case with the highest of priorities. There are subjects who are incarcerated for federal offenses who may have information about the disappearance of Desiree Ferris. Investigators believe these people have not disclosed all they know to law enforcement. Detectives have interviewed them or attempted to interview them during the course of this investigation. Some people interviewed for this investigation have evoked their Miranda rights. We are careful not to release too much information that may have the unintended consequence of endangering the successful completion of this investigation, and this investigation remains active, end quote. So to sum up what he said, basically the department is saying that because this is out of their jurisdiction, it makes it a lot more complicated for them to have full access to everything that they want and need in order to have a successful completion of this case, and along with that, they're trying their best to control what they put out into the public. That way, they can keep this case under wraps and really keep all the important information to themselves, which makes sense considering there is a lot of back and forth and contradicting statements that are out there in the public and media right now. I do want to mention that Desiree's family has actually started their own tip line for people who want to call in and give a tip but want to remain anonymous and don't want to have to go through the authorities and call straight to the cops. This private tip line is 816-945-2722. Again, that is 816-945-2722. I do want to say that Patty has come forward and said that sometimes people will use the tip line as a joke or just to send in tips that they know aren't valid. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to waste these people's time, just find something better to do. This is a real family who is struggling through unexplainable pain right now. So just, just don't do it. Find something else to do with your life. So as far as theories go, there have been countless theories out there about what happened to Desiree and most of which have really taken a negative toll on the investigation and Desiree's family. Patty has said that she has heard so many possible theories of people saying what they think happened to her daughter with no real evidence to back it up. There's people out there who are saying that Desiree's body was placed into a barrel and filled with cement 
meant and thrown off somewhere. There's theories that are saying that Desiree's body was drowned and that Desiree was drowned. However, people and divers had searched through all of those areas and nothing has ever been found. What I do want to say though, something that we know for a fact is that Desiree is not a runaway. The investigators in this case do not believe that Desiree ran away, so that theory is really thrown out the window in this one. Authorities have done countless searches looking for Desiree and her family conducted endless search parties as well and have made it clear that they will not stop until they bring Desiree home. Now, the main theory in this case is that Mark Arzola and or Jason Keegan is responsible for Desiree's disappearance. They are the last two people known to have seen her. I wasn't able to find anything that indicated that Mark and Jason knew each other or where that connection was, so I'm not necessarily saying that this was a team effort. However, that can't be ruled out either. There was a potential eyewitness who claims that they saw Desiree's body in the front seat of Jason Keegan's truck. However, this has never been confirmed, and again, Jason is possibly refusing to speak with the authorities. And it's also important to say that because of the lack of evidence in this case, it's hard to say for certain whether or not Mark and Jason actually were involved at all, which is part of the reason I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say about this case. You know, more than likely, it's always, you always look at the people that the person was last with, and that in this case is Mark and Jason. However, it's possible that she got dropped off somewhere else too, but it's also possible that she didn't. We just don't really know for this case. Desiree's family has continuously said that they know that someone out there knows something, whether they don't want to come forward for the fear of their own life or their loved one's lives. They really encourage anyone out there with any possible information to come forward and help bring their daughter home. Someone saw Desiree. Someone knows where she is and her family is committed to finding her justice. So if you are one of those people out there, I always like to just say this, if you're one of the people out there who know something or who heard something, whether you believe it's true or not, come forward and say something. No piece of information is ever too small. Something that you don't see a lot, which I really was inspired by in this case, was how quickly Jennifer and Patty teamed up in this. They put aside any possible differences that they could have had. Again, I don't know the family history, but I just, I think it's very, very inspiring how they put aside any possible family differences that they could have had to put Desiree first in this situation. I do know that Jennifer handles the family tip line, um, just so Patty doesn't have to hear all of the countless theories and tips that come in. Jennifer kind of takes control of that sense of it, and the two of them are so committed to finding Desiree and bringing her justice, and I truthfully believe that justice will be served in this case, and I'm really interested to see your guys' theories on this one, so you can email me at killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's just killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com, and we will be going over the theories next week, so we will start next week's episode off with the theories that you have for Desiree. And again, if you were one of those people who know something, please come forward and say something. Desiree was 18 years old when she went missing and she has her entire life ahead of her. So with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here again, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every single Wednesday and you will not want to miss it. If you have the time, I would love for you to rate and review 
the podcast as well. I love hearing what you guys have to say and what improvements I can make for this podcast to be as enjoyable for you as possible. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode. I will see you next week and until then, stay safe guys. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.